From Jeffries and Gimlet Creative, this is Invisible Forces, a show about the unexpected factors shaping the global economy and our future. I'm Shannon Murphy. I'm the head of equities content at Jeffries. And I'm Erin Shea. I'm from the Capital Intelligence team at Jeffries. In the previous episode, we looked at how the value equation for consumers is changing based on what's important to them. It's where are my products coming from? What is the company that makes these products stand for? And am I part of something? Make sure to go back and listen to that later if you haven't heard it already. Today, we're learning about three forces shaping the use of artificial intelligence in financial services. We're looking at how the sector will transform in the next decade, and likely even sooner. We're seeing the evolution of a number of converging technologies that my organization often calls the fourth industrial revolution. You know, mining so many different categories of data that you identify interests that somebody that covers the client didn't know. You know, trust and transparency become kind of interlinked in trying to build a relationship with your client for the long term. Artificial intelligence is expanding capabilities for all types of institutions. And together with other innovations like cloud computing, the entire financial ecosystem is changing. Without a doubt, there are a lot of big questions around AI in this space. But a recent banking survey shows that more than three quarters of chief experience officers believe it's critical to their firm's ability to differentiate in the market. The survey also shows that beyond the C-suite, the majority of employees are actually optimistic about what these shifts could mean. Jeffrey's own Von Harvey shares in that optimism. He's a managing director and one of our technology leads. So if I'm trying to be interesting at a party, I tell people that I'm trying to tell stories with data. Von's been working on leveraging technology in this sector for many years. First came his love of data, then he added the finance piece. So yeah, I'm an electrical engineer from Sydney University, and that I think just taught me how to look at the world as a series of interconnected systems and to develop a pretty healthy love of data and formulas. Then when I came to America, I did an MBA in finance at NYU, so I could round out my knowledge of how business worked. And then in the workforce, I've just been developing more and more expertise within that space between the business and technology where you are creating solutions using innovative technology that drives the business forward. By one estimate, financial organizations will spend $10 billion on AI and cognitive technologies by 2020. Vaughn says companies recognize that the future is now, and putting off these investments is no longer an option. If you don't have these things going forward, you won't be competitive. You just won't be as fast. You won't be able to be as efficient. You won't be able to scale as well. We have to augment intelligence with the insights from machine-generated algorithms. In other words, AI. And to be clear, artificial intelligence encompasses many technologies. AI includes machine learning, which is in layman's terms, just pattern recognition. You're just using a machine to scan vast amounts of information to determine patterns and then present those patterns back to humans such that they can then understand what the signal is and then act on it. And within machine learning, Vaughn says there are several models that are being harnessed in financial services. 
your statistical neural net type models, natural language processing, which is where you are processing unstructured text data and trying to drive insights from it. And the last category is called natural language generation, which is where you try and generate human readable English. These applications and others hold enormous potential, which brings us to our first invisible force, new value propositions. You've got data. Do you have it? Is it clean? Is it organized? You've got the algorithms. Do you know how to use them? Have you applied them? You've got software. Have you configured it? Have you built the interface that they can use? So now you're ready to go. You've got a platform. It's got insight. We're ready to dance. As financial companies figure out how to dance, as Vaughn says, or leverage AI, they can build new products, develop new services, and, our next guest says, build completely new business models. Hi, my name's Jesse McWaters, and I am the Financial Innovation Lead at the World Economic Forum. Jesse sits at the intersection of new technology and financial services. I've spent the last almost six years exploring how Technology is changing the operating models, competitive dynamics, and governance requirements of financial services. He's done this through deep engagement with senior executives, regulators, academics, and emerging fintech companies. He's also the lead author of several reports, including The New Physics of Financial Services, which looks specifically at AI. It's helping to drive efficiency, pushing down costs, allowing processes to be completed faster with less human intervention. It's allowing us to increase the accuracy of financial predictions, whether that's about whether or not an individual will repay their loans or whether it's about what stocks are going to pop over the next year. But then we're also starting to see businesses explore ways in which to leverage the data at their disposal to create value for customers in new ways. Okay, before we go further, let's take a minute to talk about why the adoption of AI has been somewhat slower in finance compared to other industries. You may be surprised to hear that in part, it's because for years, financial institutions were actually some of our tech leaders. Anyone who's interacted with an incumbent financial institution understands the frustration and the confusion about why the digital experiences that they offer don't have the same sort of slickness, if you will, that a born digital firm's offerings do. A big reason for that is, in fact, because these institutions were so far ahead of the curve, so early to the deployment of technology. You have large financial institutions deploying cutting-edge mainframe systems as early as the late 1950s, really one of the first private sector actors to use computers as a central component of their operations. But as a result, they had made significant investments in what is now extraordinarily old digital infrastructure. And you kind of have a problem when you make big investments in infrastructure. This is why we're at this pivotal moment now, where tech infrastructure for financial services is heading for a revolution. Here's how Jesse explains it. The physical infrastructure of the United States was once the envy of the world. And today it's, uh, it's in need of a serious coat of paint and, uh, and a lot of replacements across the country. 
And that's because once you've made these investments in infrastructure, A, you can push off the replacement of it, and B, it becomes part of a complex system. And so historically, for a financial institution to replace the legacy core that exists within the organization, to escape the technical debt and the siloed data structures that are associated with those systems, meant that they would need to effectively perform open-heart surgery on themselves. Today, we're finally moving away from that dichotomy that resulted in a lot of institutions pushing off and delaying core replacement. The cloud offers the potential to take the business one slice at a time, to re-architect it for a a modern world, and redeploy it into a cloud-based system. And so it makes sense that this process will be informed by new value propositions, As institutions modernize their tech, there will be opportunities for breakthroughs throughout the sector. Jesse says a great example of this evolution can be seen in the lending space. One of the institutions that we spoke with in the course of this report identified that previously they had differentiated their loan products in two ways, either by figuring out ways to offer the loans at lower rates or figuring out ways to deliver loans to institutional clients, say, for example, an automotive dealership, more quickly. What we saw, though, was that they believed that there was a race to the bottom underway around both of these value propositions, and they they needed to figure out a new way of differentiating themselves. And so what they had started doing was looking for ways to provide data analytics on an as-a-service basis to their automotive dealership clients, effectively helping those dealerships better identify when customers might be interested in purchasing a new car, refinancing, or exploring new model opportunities. And alongside new value propositions, there is also huge potential to use automation for increased efficiency in existing services. Think about robo-advisors. Really, one of the remarkable things that the robo-advisors have done is taken tools that were previously accessible only to licensed professionals, and they've simplified and democratized access to those tools. Betterment is one of the best-known players in the U.S. market. The company's only been around since 2008, yet today it manages over $16 billion worth of assets. We sat down with Betterment CEO John Stein at the Jeffries Private Internet Conference a few months back. If we can optimize things, if we can make the right long-term decision, we'll have more money, we'll live better, we'll be happier. That's where we make that easy, right? John started his business recognizing that computers could help empower people. Humans in general are not very good at assessing risk and thinking about long-term risk. We're not evolved to think about the long-term. We're ill-equipped to think about finance. And yet, in our current retirement system in America, in our financial system, we require individuals to think about their own retirement. You have to fund your own 401k or IRA. You have to think about, are you saving enough for the long term? And that is an incredibly difficult problem to solve that people just aren't well-equipped to do. Not only is it hard to know how much to save, but there's all of this risk involved in doing it because you're, you're in investments. John says these new ways of managing investments are just the beginning of some fundamental shifts. What's happening is something sort of like what's going on in the self-driving car world. 
self-driving cars aren't real yet. Like you, you maybe you've ridden around in one, but there's always a human sitting there, and there's always a, a little bit of uh, of risk involved. But I personally believe they're coming, right? It seems obvious to me that the technology is going to be there, whether you believe it's, you know, five years or 30 years, eventually, like these things are going to happen. And a similar sort of revolution is happening a little bit less physically, tangibly, obviously in financial services. The old fashioned way of like figuring out, well, I'll put this amount into my savings account and this amount into my HSA and this amount into my Roth IRA. I can't imagine that when my daughters who are, you know, three and four right now, when they graduate from college, that they'll be having to make those kinds of determinations about how much money to put into what account. All of that will just be automated. Jesse and his team, coincidentally, call this self-driving finance. And it was this notion that people wanted access to data analytics and advice about the big problems that they wanted to tackle. Uh, what type of house can I afford to buy? Uh, how do I plan for my retirement? These are big, thorny questions that people wanted to be involved in. But at the same time, we recognized that there were a whole bunch of activities that people found rather bothersome about banking. People don't want to be spending a lot of time on managing the day-to-day of their financial selves. And so we began to think about this idea that certain processes might be pushed below the threshold of perception, that they might be automated and optimized on your behalf. And he says this concept could be transformational for small businesses in particular. What's the leading cause of bankruptcy for small businesses? It's running into liquidity issues. In many ways, self-driving finance for a small business could mean incorporating knowledge about the macroeconomic conditions, uh, performance of comparable uh, institutions, and your own order flow to understand what the financing requirements of a business six or eight months in the future is going to be. As the use of AI evolves in financial services, trust and transparency will become more important. Jeffries Von Harvey says companies have to help their clients and their employees get comfortable doing business in these new ways. That's a powerful invisible force because they may have a habit of doing something in a certain workflow that, you know, no, I don't want to go over to your application and, you know, I have a pad and paper and I write my ideas down in the morning and I, my checklist is on my desk here. People also want to know, for example, why they're getting certain recommendations. What kind of historical or real-time data is being used? But you have to get through that initial phase of, you know, taking a very skeptical human and winning them over before you can kind of push some of that evidence to the background. And then you design the interface such that they can drill down if they want to. And then if they fully trust it, you can go full order. And then, of course, there's personal data and all of the critical privacy and security issues that go along with it. Jesse believes this is an area where financial institutions could have a big edge over tech firms. Fundamentally, the large techs and the fintechs have had the opportunity to build out capabilities and services in a greenfield environment. They're digital natives. And in some ways, you might think that that makes it impossible for financial institutions to catch up in terms of the foot race. And there's a lot of reasons to to believe that that's true. Financial institutions face a number of significant hurdles. But if we look more broadly, 
We exist in a world today in which customers are increasingly concerned about things like how their data is being used, uh, how it's being kept safe. And it's not just customers, it's regulators and policymakers too. And I think this is an interesting environment in which financial institutions might have an advantage that they don't yet conceive of as an advantage. Jesse says that advantage is built on the fact that financial institutions by nature of how they have to operate, already have this as a foundation. That's seen over and over in terms of both reported and demonstrated trust. Think about where things stood back in 2008. At the end of the day, people still felt the financial system would safeguard their money. It's why this force holds such promise for financial firms. They might have an opportunity to do a judo flip in which they take the internal perception of regulation as a disadvantage and turn it into an outward-facing strength, where the fact that they're heavily regulated, where the fact that they face significant limitations on how they can use customers' data, how they can share customer data with third parties, actually gives them an advantage in forming trust on the part of their customers. And that in the future, we could live in a world in which you don't entrust just your financial assets to a financial institution, but you entrust your data to both the storage and stewardship of that data and the privacy-preserving communication of that data to third parties. For Brad Katsuyama, trust is its own kind of currency. I think trust is an invisible force behind transparency. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I think they're interlinked. Brad is the co-founder and CEO of IEX. And by the way, we should say that Jeffrey's head of global quant strategy sits on their board. Brad has also been called a Wall Street disruptor. I think most people would recognize my name from Flash Boys, which was written by Michael Lewis, which talked about, I guess, a little bit about my background career and forming this team that... I had discovered things in the U.S. stock market and kind of set out to, to try to uh, bring them to light and, and to fix them. Since then, Brad's been on a mission. Trying to lead by example and effectively try to raise the bar, raise the standard for exchanges. And we look at transparency in terms of, you know, does the market lack disclosures? Do people understand how the markets work? And so I think we try to tell people exactly how we're making money so that at the end of the day, you try to build trust with people. To him, this is, without question, part of what will determine the future of the sector. I think what's changed over time, I think, is the expectation of society in general or the expectation of clients on how much information is shared and kind of what role you play as a fiduciary. Because the other thing interesting to me about Wall Street, it's a service industry. There is not like a hard, tangible product. It's These are people providing services. So trust and transparency become kind of interlinked in trying to build a relationship with your client for the long term. The only issue is that there's all these short-term incentives to not operate that way because you can make more money the opposite way. So I think that right now is a tension. And I ultimately think that that resolves in favor of the client. What do you see for the future? I know you have a lot of other initiatives that you guys are working on in terms of applying some of the technology that's been really successful in your kind of underlying objectives and principles. What's next? Sure. I mean, there's a number of different businesses at IEX that are emerging. We look at the financial data space in general and, you know, exchanges overcharge for data. 
And as a result, I think the ecosystem of people that can use that data is very limited. So we're continuously looking for ways to, to democratize access to financial data. And IEX Cloud is a business that has kind of like inserted itself in the middle and has appealed to a lot of, you know, the everyday folks, the, you know, the, the academics, the, you know, the journalists. IEX Cloud is a financial data infrastructure platform that connects developers and financial data creators. And this takes us to our third invisible force, collaboration. Jesse McWaters explains that collaboration is a driver on multiple levels. First, financial institutions could work together and use AI to take on issues that affect everyone in the industry. In many ways, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts when it comes to data. And there's an opportunity for financial institutions to collectively address shared problems like fraud or the identification of financial crime, the identification of insider trading, for example, through shared data and the establishment of AI capabilities on top of that data. Then there's the collaboration that's necessary between the workforce and AI technologies. That means investing in the right talent and knowing how to manage and create opportunities to retain that talent. There's an enormous amount of discussion in the financial services industry right now about the future of work. It's been a core point of discussion in our annual meeting of financial services CEOs in Davos for the last two years. And I think it's important to take a balanced approach to our thinking about this, because it's doubtless that AI and the transformation of financial services that's happening will fundamentally change the nature of work performed by individuals across really, I think, every organization in the industry. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we will see significant job losses. It may, but I think it's premature to conclude that. Von Harvey has been addressing this point to teams across firms throughout his career. We're not trying to build robots that replace anybody. We're just trying to make smart people even smarter. We're really just trying to augment the human intelligence so that that they can be faster and smarter. We asked Vaughn if he could remember an example of when he had helped someone understand this. He told us about a time when a computer system uncovered that a client needed different research from the firm because their role and sector coverage had changed. So it was interesting because, like, you only know what's happening, you know, in your interactions and in your lane. And if the system can pick up signals such that, you know, clients have stopped calling you because their job's changed, but they haven't told you, but they've started calling healthcare or somewhere else, then we should generate those signals and we should help that analyst, A, not waste that client's time and B, not waste their own time. We're still at the beginning of learning how to fully harness AI in financial services. It's all relatively new, even though it feels like we've been relying on data and algorithms for a long time. So the future I hope for is where these models are less of a black box and learn to explain themselves better. I think the future is more of that, where you're less stuck behind a computer reading data and and trying to interpret something and, and more, um, you know, more accessible 
uh, in terms of the insight or the output of machine-generated recommendations. You see that on the weather. I mean, that's all machine-generated. The little weather blurb that told us it was going to rain on the way home from the studio today. All of the baseball summaries from Little League, they're generated from data. So this exists in other industries. It's just not very prevalent in ours yet. So I, I think the future is... Uh, more text generation that helps the models explain themselves and then the digital assistant concept such that you can get that information through voice, through chat, through other channels such that you're not always chained to your desk. Uh, The fusion of those two trends I think will lead to real uh, opportunity. Real opportunity and ultimately better personalization and financial outcomes for clients and more efficiency for institutions. As we've heard, collaboration, trust and transparency, and new value propositions are all helping move the financial services sector into a new era built on artificial intelligence. We're looking at large-scale transformations to the industry that haven't been seen in decades. On the next episode of Invisible Forces, in a world driven by social media, what leads to a boom in the beauty industry? And what can it tell us about other areas? We start to look for patterns. And what we find is that particularly young women, they identify trends early, they adopt quickly, they participate passionately, and then they exit quickly. I'm Erin Shea. And I'm Shannon Murphy. This episode was produced by Jorge Estrada, Emily Foreman, and Carrie Ann Thomas. Our senior producer is Matt Schiltz. Our editor is Renita Jablonski. Music and mixing by Marcus Bagala. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Zach Schmidt is our technical director. Additional production help from Soraya Shockley. Special thanks to Brad Katsuyama, John Stein, Jesse McWaters, and Steph Libyan. See you next week. Jeffries, the full-service global investment banking firm headquartered in the U.S., focused on serving clients for more than 55 years, is a leader in providing insight, expertise, and execution to investors, companies, and governments. The firm provides a full range of investment banking, advisory, sales and trading, research, and wealth management services across all products in the Americas, Europe, and Asia. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffries entity to the audience. This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. This is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. It may be based on subjective assessments and assumptions and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. 
no responsibility is accepted, and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given in either case expressly or impliedly by Jeffries as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based, or the use of any of the same. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, agents, or representatives will be liable for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, taxation, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction and is not providing any advice as to any such matter. Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed.